Hello, I'm Claire Heffron, and welcome to the Geneva Centre for Security Policy podcast on the latest issues advancing peace, security and international cooperation. Nuclear deterrence continues to dominate international relations. We spoke to an anti-nuclear weapon campaigner who answers the question, do nuclear weapons still keep us safe? And we spoke to the Iraqi historian behind a secret blog during the Islamic State's occupation of Mosul, who risked his life to tell the outside world what was happening. Earlier, we spoke to Omar Mohammed, who is the founder of Mosul I, who risked everything to tell the story of the ISIS occupation. When the Islamic State group took over Mosul in Iraq in 2014, they flooded the internet with propaganda. The historian set up an anonymous blog and Twitter account to expose the atrocities and failings of IS fighters, but at great personal risk. He tells us it was his duty to tell the real story, and it became the main source of information for journalists covering the occupation. I've lived uh, under the rule of uh, ISIS or Daesh for more than two years, documenting what's happening day by day uh, inside the besieged city of Mosul. Why did you want to tell the story of the ISIS occupation? Uh, uh, the, decision, the decision why I uh, uh, published Mosul I from the beginning, why I became Mosul I, was my feeling of the responsibility that someone has to do something about his own city. Because as, as a historian, I've been reading through all of what happened in the city before. And I found that there were many gaps, and these gaps were uh, made because there was absence of documentation of the history. History is very important to protect the future, to make the future better. But most importantly was to protect the narrative of the city. And as ISIS or Daesh, when they came to the city, they didn't only bring weapons with them. They brought their own package of historical narrative that they wanted to impose on the city. And that's why my, my, my decision, despite how risky it was, I decided to take this responsibility in order to tell the story of this city. And because I believe that uh, all dictators, oppressors, and uh, groups like ISIS are afraid of history, but not the history that is uh, um, lost in time and buried in books. They fear the history that is written out of their authority and that is being published as it happens. What was life like before the invasion and how has it changed? Before 2014 or before ISIS, any conversation between different uh, uh, people from different groups would be limited to their own religions. Now they are addressing their own dreams, which is something like very important for them to dream in such situation. Uh, I think this is, this is the main hope that I have. I believe in the youth. I believe in their ability to make their life better. Uh, I've read about the uh, post-Second uh, uh, World War, and I know that the youth were the key, they, they played the key role in reviving Europe. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the youth in Mosul will do the same. And tell us your love of Mosul's history, and do you have any concerns for the future of Mosul? Um, since I revealed my identity uh, uh, as Mosul I, um, I've been focusing on the cultural revival of the city of Mosul because I believe that one of the reasons why ISIS occupied the city 
was the damage that uh, the cultural life had in the city of Mosul, the absence of uh, public spaces for youth, the absence of art, music, etc. So I've been focusing on this. My hope for the future is that this uh, 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 cultural movement is growing and it's coming back to, to the city again. We have uh, uh, artists, we have musicians, we have, uh, uh, for the first time, we have entrepreneur uh, 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 innovation uh, uh, companies, small companies in the city. Uh, the people are thinking of more of on their future. But most importantly, what happened in post-ISIS, which is something is for very important, is that the people found their space to discuss things. They found the space to have conversations, peaceful conversations, away from the political uh, uh, atmosphere, the corrupted political atmosphere. Today, there are almost 14,000 nuclear weapons in the world, 1,800 of which are in a position where they are ready to launch. Ray Aitchison, the director of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom's Disarmament Programme, discussed with us the necessity of disarmament and the theory of deterrence. Deterrence theory holds that nuclear weapons are intended to deter other states from attacking with their nuclear weapons. But do they ensure peace and security worldwide? No, I don't believe that nuclear weapons keep us safe, and I certainly don't think that the theory of nuclear deterrence keeps us safe either. What about countries that have acquired nuclear weapons relatively recently, such as India, Pakistan and North Korea? Or even as more countries were acquiring these weapons, this idea somehow that they were upholding security, it should have been exposed for the nonsense that it is. And what about the argument that nuclear weapons have deterred war? After the United States nuclear bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, supporters argue that deterrence and the theory of mutually assured destruction have prevented nuclear powers from engaging in another major conflict. Is this the case? We sort of felt that with the end of the Cold War, the problem was going to go away because the Soviet Union didn't exist anymore and they weren't enemies of the United States. But instead, this sort of this theory of deterrence really kicked in again. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, or the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty, is the first legally binding international agreement to comprehensively prohibit nuclear weapons, with the goal of leading towards their total elimination. As of 1st of October this year, 33 states have ratified the treaty. What is the goal? I think our best hope for overcoming this problem and really thinking about how we want to live, how we want our security to be governed, um, and what role we think violence and weapons play in that. Well, that's all for today's podcast for the GCSP. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Ray Aitchison for joining us along with Omar Mohammed. Join us again next week as our Mistress Day marks 101 years since the end of World War I. Discover how the peacemaking process of 1918 to 1923 was a turning point for Switzerland's diplomacy. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until then, bye for now.